The December WASDE is usually a quiet report at the end of the U.S. crop year, but this week's debut offered a few unexpected nuggets. What should farmers be paying attention to as 2021 wraps? That's today on Field Posts. is a DTN Progressive Farmer podcast that dives deeper into the most important trends in agriculture to explore the business's cutting edge. I'm your host, Sarah Mock. This December WASD dropped Thursday, December 9th, confirming many expectations about minimal changes to the U.S. crop for corn and soybeans while introducing a bit of the unexpected for wheat. DTN's Todd Holtman joins us today to unpack just a few updated figures and to discuss what other factors he'll be following most closely as markets switch their focus to other regions during the U.S.'s quiet season. We'll discuss driving demand and soybean crush, the unusual price bump for cotton we're experiencing, how input scarcity might affect planting decisions, and what Russia-Ukraine concerns might mean for wheat prices moving forward. Then we'll dig into inflation rates and potential moves by the Federal Reserve and what might be ahead in the January WASDE report, right after this word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by MyDTN. In today's environment, it's essential, more than ever, to get the most current and accurate information to help save your valuable resources and continue to be profitable. Get access to all the information you need to deal with this change from DTN. As the leading independent, trusted source of actionable insights and market information, MyDTN gives you accurate weather forecasts, the most extensive database of grain bids, and the most timely news and analysis from our award-winning news team. These features and more are available 24-7 via desktop, laptop, and any mobile device to be with you on the go. Learn more at MyDTN.com and start a free 14-day trial. Now, back to the show. DTN lead analyst Todd Holtman joins us today to discuss the December world supply and demand estimates. Todd, December is usually kind of a quiet WASDE for us, usually not a lot of big surprises. I'm curious if that was your expectation going into this report, and did you see that largely come to fruition? Yeah, you know, we have a little team meeting each week right before the WASDE report to prepare for what lies ahead. And I had even made the comment that it's possible USDA will just freeze on all three U.S. estimates for corn, beans, and wheat. And so as it turned out, they did freeze on two, making no changes to either the corn or the soybean estimates. We did see some bearish adjustments in wheat. How did markets react as expected? Was this mostly baked in or was there some surprise there? For corn and soybeans, the report was largely a non-event. They both ended with uh, small gains on the day. March corn was up four and a half cents. The big hit was absorbed in the wheat market where we saw some bearish adjustments on both the U.S. estimates and the world estimates. Honestly, I think maybe the wheat prices overreacted. Winter wheat was down like 15 and 17 cents. And on Minneapolis, it was down about 13 cents. But even with those small bearish adjustments, it's still a very tight supply situation in wheat. So in the bigger picture, this report really didn't change uh, any perceptions in a significant way. 
We'll circle back around to talking more about that wheat picture, but I want to talk about corn first. We talked about it being frozen there. I'm curious, as you look at things like gasoline consumption, are you surprised that there wasn't more movement on things like corn demand? Yeah, I I thought there was a good chance that there'd be maybe at least a smaller, modest increase in the ethanol demand on the corn balance sheet. And uh, ethanol profit margins, as you might know, have been very attractive lately. And the demand for ethanol has been up. We're at a time where we're a bit short on our oil production, gasoline production. Those prices are obviously pulling higher and ethanol is benefiting from that. In this report, the USDA chose to back off and just leave it at the uh, 5.25 billion bushels where it currently is. On the export side of the market, our, our pace is actually pretty close to in line with USDA, so there were no big changes there. I want to dig in and tie soybeans into this as well, because I think we talked a lot in November for sure, and then have talked periodically throughout the year about just the unpredictability of demand coming out of China. Now that we're transitioning to focusing a little bit more on Latin America for the next few months, do you have any skepticism about USDA's export figures for corn and soybeans? Yeah, my big concern is on the soybean side uh, of the export estimates. And USDA kept their estimate at 2.05 billion bushels, which is down 9% from a year ago. However, our current export sales pace is down 27% from a year ago. So that's a big gap in where we're at versus where uh, USDA had hoped we would be as uh, I think is the words getting out that Brazil's crop is looking very good. They got an early planting start this year, which means they'll likely have an early harvest and their price of their beans are already competing for exports with us in the month of January. So there's a big anticipation that Brazil's going to have a record crop here pretty soon. And USDA stuck with its uh, high estimate of 144 million metric tons, which will be a new record. That's just shy of 5.3 billion bushels. So it's a lot of soybeans coming at us very fast. And I think it's going to be difficult to dig out of this export sales hole that we're in. Shifting back to corn just for a last couple of things. Uh, I'm curious what the basis situation looks like. Not usually a really terribly high expectations for basis in December, but how are things looking? This is normally the time of year when those cash prices are really suffering after harvest, but that's not what we're seeing at all. We're, we're still seeing the strongest basis in nine years for this time of year. And largely, I think we have to thank the ethanol industry for that and the high profit margin situation there that I mentioned earlier. So that demand is really helping those cash prices all across the Midwest. We're, as is not unusual, we're seeing some of the best cash prices in Illinois and Indiana again this fall. A lot of those areas have cash prices above the futures board yet. For this time of year, as you say, it's a a very strong cash market. And we see that as a very good and encouraging sign for even better price opportunities in early 2022. I'm curious whether that basis story is holding for soybeans as well. Relatively speaking, the basis in soybeans is also among its strongest in nine years is a bit surprising, but I think we're suffering a little bit of vertigo because those cash prices got so high earlier this summer, and they have come down quite a bit. But in the last month, our national soybean index at DTN, which is like a national average of the cash soybean price, actually increased 80 cents a bushel. And what we're seeing is that the crush values 
uh, have really firmed in the past month. And it's, it's helping that crush activity and giving pretty good support with the national average price is roughly 35 cents below the board on the January futures contract. Uh, again, for this time of year, that's one of the stronger performances we've seen in nine years. I'm curious as well on soybeans, looking at those stock numbers that USDA held over from the November WASD, given the last kind of little bit of information we saw trickle in from the tail end of harvest in November, are you pretty confident in, in those numbers or are you expecting an adjustment between now and January? For soybeans, I expect that export estimate of 2.05 billion bushels is going to have to be reduced. And it's always hard to guess just what report or series of reports USDA will make that happen in. But I think there's probably no doubt that going forward, we're going to see reductions there. We may see some of that offset with higher crush demand, given the crush values that we're seeing uh, this year for both meal and bean oil. But I think it's going to be very difficult for crush demand to make up the losses that we're expecting on the export side. So I continue to see soybeans being under pressure until some surprise happens. (laughs) Before we talk a little bit about wheat, I think it's the time of year when folks are really, this year, They most people I'm sure have long been done with the process of buying inputs and doing some planning for the 2022 year. But a lot of conversations right now. People are paying attention to to opportunities to maybe transition some marginal acres to wheat or to some other crop. But I'm curious whether, as you look around the market, do you expect any major changes on the planting side? Or does it seem like things are pretty much holding in such a way they're still likely to be a kind of ordinary year in terms of planting? Yeah, given the fact that we do have much better prices this year in wheat and even sorghum and cotton prices are also very attractive this year, I think in the, the Western Corn Belt states, we are going to see some corn and soybean acres lose out maybe two to three million to say wheat and uh, other crops. So this year we had a, a corn and soybean pie total of 180 million bushel acres. I think we'll probably be down to 177 or 178. Now between the two, I still think corn and soybeans will keep a roughly 50-50 split. And in spite of the high fertilizer costs, corn will probably still maintain a little bit of an edge over the soybean mix. But that's my best early guess for now. And and of course, January, we'll have a lot of numbers and and discussion there. So that and that'll get a lot more attention than this report. (laughs) Interesting. Since you mentioned it, I'd be curious just to hear your take on what exactly is happening in cotton. I feel like that it came out, (laughs) the the bump came out of uh, felt like a little bit of nowhere, but maybe that's there's really more of a longer term trend there than I realized. Number one, China was also has also been a very big active buyer of cotton lately, and that certainly helped the price. I think the other thing happening is that with the disruption in oil and gas production, the cost of those synthetic competing materials is going higher, and that helps cotton look a little more favorable again. So it's kind of all the above. We have a big comeback of demand from the pandemic situation, increased buying from China and uh, some of the other countries that traditionally buy the cotton from us. And uh, there, there was also a Trump policy factor in there where the U.S. Uh, decided that we were not going to buy cotton if it originated from areas where China was using the slave labor situation. And so the way it turned out, China had to buy the cotton from us, produce the shirts or goods or whatever that gets sent back to us. Otherwise, we wouldn't accept it. So all those things mixed in there to really help the cotton price this year. 
Okay. I want to switch gears and talk a little bit about we, I'm curious, kind of top line. We talked a little bit about the December WASD is usually very expected and very kind of neutral or, or stagnant in terms of not really surprising the market. Why, what was unexpected about the wheat numbers and, and how did that, how did the market not predict that? First, let me mention the part that was expected. And that is the 20 million bushel reduction in the U.S. wheat export estimate. Our, our wheat exports have not been doing very well at all lately, Sarah. The uh, total wheat sales so far this year are down 24% from a year ago. And last year, they were nothing to brag about. So these are not good numbers. So the reduced export estimate was not a surprise. So we did get that increase to the bottom line. So the ending stocks total increased 15 million bushels. Now, that's not a lot, to be honest. But in a December report where there's not much to talk about, it it stood out as one of the things that could be mentioned. On the world side, I think the uh, aspect of the report that turned out to be uh, a bit of a surprise, but I don't think anyone was shocked. And that is USDA came in and increased the, the crop estimates in wheat for four of our competing exporters. Australia got the biggest jump up two and a half million metric tons to a 34 million metric ton crop. Canada and Europe had small increases. And then we saw a 1 million metric ton increase in Russia. So the result was they're also increasing the export estimates for a little bit for Australia and Russia. Again, I can't say that really shocked me. There might have been a little surprise that given all the abundant rains we've been hearing about in Eastern Australia, that they're still expecting a a big crop without too much damage from those rains. Again, in the big picture, we still have the lowest ending wheat stocks estimates for the top exporters of the world in 14 years. So it's still a very tight global situation but it does look like Argentina and Australia's harvest will be able to help out uh, in a small way as they have their Southern harvest. Todd, we'll be right back to you after this quick word from our sponsor. This episode of Field Post is brought to you by DTN Ag Marketplace. Marketing is a year round business, but it's not your only job. As you focus on field work, monitor your opportunities and easily make an offer with help from the free DTN Ag Marketplace app. DTN Ag Marketplace facilitates end-to-end grain sales on your schedule. From your mobile device, you can easily connect to local agribusiness to view current cash bids and futures to sell your grain. Need more accountability in your marketing program? The app lets you set goals and monitor progress and enter and track inventory. Start to confidently market your crops with DTN Ag Marketplace. Download it today for free in the Apple Store. Now, back to the show. And we're back again. Joining us today is DTN lead analyst Todd Holtman. Todd, yeah, I'm curious too, as we watch the global picture, geopolitical activities in Ukraine and Russia seem to be creating some uncertainty, especially because we don't, we just don't know what might happen there, when, what it will mean in terms of potential sanctions. Is the market paying attention to that? Is that being worked into the market already? Or is that potentially going to be a shock at some point? Yeah, I would say the market is paying attention to it, but you can't tell from looking at the market. There's no discernible difference in the wheat price, I don't think, because of the the Russian troops along the Ukrainian border. This is something, really, it's been an ongoing conflict since I think it was 2013 when Russia took over Crimea the first time. And uh, wheat traders were pretty sensitive to the conflict at the time. That time, there's been a lot of 
chicken little scares that have come and gone as troops increased from Russia, troops pulled back. We've, we've played the ping pong game. And this appears to be maybe a little more serious threat than we've seen of late. So people do have their ears perked up, but the wheat market itself is not showing any panic or scare from this uh, yet. And then what has the result of all that been for U.S. weakers? What's local prices looking like today? They're still in a very uh, good situation. Our spot winter wheat price is close to $8 a bushel on the Kansas City contract. These are still some of the best prices we've seen in at least seven years or longer. If you look at the other wheats, it, they're doing quite well. And as far as the cash prices, uh, they're actually holding up quite well. The cash basis is the strongest for Kansas City wheat or the head hard red winter variety that we've seen in 10 years. So our national cash index, 797, uh, just a couple of nights ago, that's up 35 cents in the last month. So we continue to see uh, fairly strong demand for very tight supplies of wheat, not only in the U.S., uh, but in the world. And we're going to see some volatility as we have the past couple of weeks. We've seen the wheat prices fall down from their peaks, roughly a dollar a bushel. And we'll see that type of volatility through winter, but I'm not convinced that the, the buying surge is over. I think there's probably still end users out there that are going to need to keep buying wheat this winter. I'm curious how closely you're going to be watching winter weather, uh, especially I'm, I'm thinking in the Western United States as, you know, an indicator of the 2022 wheat crop in general. And then also because of how tight wheat supplies are, is there a potential that as potentially the drought continues or if the drought, you know, lifts in some areas that could have a significant impact on wheat prices in these generally like off months? Yeah, I'm watching the weather real close right now because I'm in Omaha and I was hoping to drive north later today, but there's a snowstorm blowing in. That one's definitely on the radar. In terms of the crops, I think the major concern is how is this massive drought situation in the western U.S. we have going to play out? And of course, the immediate concern is in the southwestern plains, it's been quite dry. The drought monitors continue to show increased drought conditions in those hard red winter wheat areas. And from our meteorologist, John Baranek's forecast for the winter and spring months, we don't expect a lot of moisture to return to that hard red winter wheat area. So that's one big concern. And then, of course, we're keeping our eye on the northwestern plains where we're going to want to be planting spring wheat later this year. And the northwestern plains continue to be in a very serious drought situation. Just this week, though, we have seen increased chances for area, areas really uh, broadly throughout the Western United States. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if we can drum up some more of this winter. The Northwestern Plains should have better chances of getting a moisture recharge over the winter. And that would certainly help spring conditions that they need. I'm curious how, obviously kind of the big talk of agriculture, it seems like at the moment is these rising input prices and the struggle with inflation, especially as farmers make some last purchases in the 2021 year to get ready for 2022. How much of that is being priced into the market in terms of, is there an expectation that the 2022 crop might not be as good just because farmers won't have as much access to inputs, fertilizers, pet crop chemicals, things like that? I think everybody's nervous about it, to be honest. And I've talked to several farm groups the past couple of weeks and had a chance to ask them in their area how things are going. And for the most part, 
Most of them have told me that we can get fertilizer. We're not worried about not being able to get the fertilizer, but I, which now a lot of those farmers are in the Illinois, Indiana area. And in fact, a lot of them have already done fall work with their fertilizer applications this fall. In the Western Corn Belt, I think maybe there's even a little more nervousness that it may be more difficult to get the fertilizer supplies when they need them. And of course, that presents a difficult choice because we're at extremely high record prices uh, for fertilizer prices right now. So the question is, do you wait and hope that the fertilizer price will normalize a bit and come down to a more reasonable level before spring? Or, or do you jump in now knowing that this may be your best chance to secure supplies at spring? So it, it's a very difficult choice and a tough situation to be in. Overall, I think most uh, producers will find a way to get the supplies largely because with the corn prices where they are now, it still pencils out for most people to go ahead and buy the expensive fertilizer and uh, lock in a new crop price. And as long as those numbers work for a particular situation, I think that's one reason why I think the, the corn uh, production will hold up largely next year. Now, my opinion outside of the U.S. is a little different. And I think there we may see non-North American corn production be limited this year by the expensive fertilizers. I just think a lot of producers are gonna find it tempting to either you know, cut back or find ways to do without uh, fertilizer for corn in the year ahead. I think the other half of that story is the Fed and other officials in the US have been very focused on the idea that inflation uh, in the economy is transitory, seems like. We are approaching a threshold beyond which it's hard to make that argument anymore. And the Fed, I think, has started to talk a little bit more seriously about changing some of their activities, some of their policies. And I'm curious whether looking into a little bit more of the long term, are you thinking about or watching potential reactions to things like potentially higher interest rates or other effects, possible knock-on effects of the Fed changing its outlook on how yeah. inflation is working. I'm, I'm glad you asked that, Sarah, because I think it's a really important topic to understand. And I think there's a lot of confusion in the reporting from the business news in general. I didn't get a lot of opportunity to have time to talk about that at Egg Summit this year. So uh, thanks for giving me a moment. I, I think it's important that we clarify what type of inflation we're talking about. So inflation means different things to different people. And it seems like the popular version is any price that goes up now is inflation. So if corn has a drought this year and the corn price goes up, well, that's inflation. In the older days, <laughs> when we got uh, very acquainted with inflation in the 70s, and back then it was really largely the traditional view of inflation was it's a lack of confidence in your country's currency. And, and back then it was related to U.S. going off the gold standard and then the Federal Reserve not really defending the dollar for many years until Jimmy Carter hired a guy named Paul Volcker, and he found out how to cure inflation very quickly. He let the interest rate go to 20%, and that did it. <laughs> inflation was done for many years, and we've kept it uh, that type of inflation under control for a long time. I, I take the less popular view on this topic in that I agree with the Fed that I see this as transitory. That doesn't mean it's not important or uh, that it won't last another year or more. But as I look at it, a lot of the issues that we have of rising prices today are tied directly back to the pandemic disruption. 
And for instance, we just had another CPI report out this morning, a consumer price index, and it was up 6.8%, the highest annual jump since 1982. So that's certainly serious. It's not uh, something that we can easily ignore, but I think we need to understand the, the cause of that. And the, the biggest component in that consumer price index that's up this year are gasoline prices up 58% from a year ago and fuel oil along with it. Why is that? Our oil production was seriously hurt in the pandemic. When those oil supplies increased, when Saudi Arabia added oil production at the time that COVID was hitting, when our oil prices got driven down to a negative $40 a barrel, and we had so much oil coming out our ears, we didn't know where to store it. That was a very severe financial strain to the oil industry. We had over 100 oil companies in North America go bankrupt in 2020. It's very difficult to get that kind of production back in the blink of an eye. We lost 25% of our production in 2020 during the pandemic. We've gotten much of it back, but we're still short about 1.4 million barrels a day. This problem really is a matter of restoring oil production. And unfortunately, the Federal Reserve policy can't do that. They don't have a letter, lever to increase the oil again, which is what we really need to bring these prices back to more normal levels. So it's very difficult. It's not easy to solve. Transitory doesn't mean that we shouldn't be concerned about it. But I think it's important for people to understand where the real solution to the matter is. And it's overcoming this pandemic, getting back to work, getting back to a more normal active type life where we can once again deliver the goods and services that the world demands. And if the Fed can raise the, the interest rate and as the economy improves, the Fed should raise the interest rate, but even a two or 3% interest rate up from near zero is not gonna increase oil production or reduce the congestion at ports and the shipping problems we have. Those are where the real causes are, and that's where our focus needs to be. The other two cents I was thinking was, if you look at the dollar right now, it's near its highest levels in a year. So this is not a currency lack of confidence thing. It's not like people are fearful that the, the dollar is falling apart. And the interest rate on 10-year T-notes is still less than 1.5%. So it doesn't seem to me that there's a, a big fear out there that we're going to have runaway inflation for a long term. I think overall the market sees it as an uncomfortable period, but one that is workable and solvable. We talked last month a little bit about the latest COVID variant. It had just been announced just before last month's WASD. So we've had about a month for it to percolate and testing has been advanced and there's cases in the US, not maybe significant drug makers, vaccine makers are trying to figure out whether vaccines work or don't work or some are more effective than others. As we see yet another variant come onto the stage and COVID continue, but I don't know. I'm curious how you're watching that news, how you think it might affect the markets and whether you're seeing signs that maybe we're figuring out a little better how to handle these things as they come up. Yeah, just as when the pandemic started, I continue to watch the daily cases. Are, are more cases breaking out or are we coming down and normalizing? And for the most part, we just don't have near the shocks to the system that we saw initially in 2020. And um, so overall, I, I think after two years of this, we're getting it down what we need to do to try to stay healthy 
whether it's for the Omicron variant or whatever the next variant is. If we have to, in certain situations, we're going to wear our masks. A lot of us are already getting vaccinated. And while we don't know how effective the current vaccine might be for Omicron or any other variant strain that comes along, our drug companies by now are getting very good at developing new vaccines, which they tell us can be just three months away if needed. So I think we've come through a big learning curve in the whole pandemic situation. I'm sure we'll still have days of turbulent markets from whatever the latest news or fear is, but I I think our economy overall is getting more active, making progress, obviously driving demands up, and there's plenty of people on the road now, and it's not like 2020 in that regard at all. And I think more and more, you're going to see more and more Americans going back to work. So it's going to take time, but the ripples and the turbulence seems to be getting uh, a little uh, less shocking every time. You can read Todd's full analysis and up-to-the-minute reporting on all things ag markets at DTNPF.com or in the monthly DTN Progressive Farmer magazine. This episode of Field Post was brought to you by the team at DTN Progressive Farmer, with special thanks to Todd Holtman. This episode was produced and edited by me, Sarah Mock, with support by Greg Hillier and Kylie Swanson. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And until then, remember, the future of farming is here. This episode of Field Post is brought to you by DTN Ag Weather Station. Are you looking to get more accurate, hyper-local weather information? By gathering weather and agronomic data directly from your own fields, DTN Ag Weather Station supports you when making targeted decisions around expensive or high-risk activities like chemical applications and irrigation. DTN's Ag Weather Station can be purchased for as low as $9 a month depending on your current customer status with DTN. If you're looking to increase your weather accuracy while saving time, please visit DTN.com.